Mr. Bertogli, we do appreciate your uh, willingness to accept the CJA appointment. Could you pull the microphone over a little bit? Um, as I said, yes, I represented Mr. Simmons at trial <coughs> uh, and also represented here on appeal. Um, uh, this appeal is unique, I believe, because it gives this court the opportunity to uh, right a, a terrible injustice as it relates to the general trial rights of uh, Mr. Simmons um, connected with his Sixth Amendment right to uh, compulsory process and to and to call witnesses to defend himself. Um, that's what he tried to do. Um, uh, many months in advance of trial, seven months to be exact, <coughs> he learned that the, um, uh, a co-defendant of his, uh, uh, who was charged with, in the same conspiracy, uh, had uh, written a letter <coughs> unsolicited by him, um, and he had nothing to do with it. There's been no suggestion that he somehow uh, talked him into it or, or got him to do it but he wrote a, a, a long, uh, unsolicited, notarized letter detailing the uh, uh, behavior of Mr. Simmons vis-a-vis -vis his own behavior, Mr. Edwards is who I'm talking about here, um, uh, relating to uh, whether or not he was involved in a uh, single um, uh, act of uh, delivering an amount of methamphetamine to an undercover um, uh, confidential informant. And uh, on a specific date, February 20th, uh, February 28th, I believe, of 2020 is the, uh, is the date of the uh, conspiratorial uh, act that the government alleges uh, uh, qualifies Mr. Simmons to be uh, uh, prosecuted and, uh, and convicted of uh, conspiracy. And Mr. Edwards' notarized statement uh, on a number of points refutes the, uh, um, uh, the allegations of the government and the uh, testimony of, uh, uh, of the CI, in this case it was an uh, individual by the name of Brian Waters, and um, in, in several important respects, he says on that occasion that no transaction of methamphetamine occurred. He and Mr. Simmons merely smoked methamphetamine. Waters was there to try to buy a gun, and, uh, and Mr. Simmons didn't have any guns for him to sale, for sale, and Waters was, uh, was, was pissed about that, and uh, um, and the fact that the two of them were, uh, uh, were just wasting his time and smoking methamphetamine in front of him. So um, he also uh, uh, offers uh, exculpatory evidence against Mr. Uh, in favor of Mr. Simmons in his statement that, uh, um, uh, that Mr. Simmons was a methamphetamine user um, uh, of small amounts and not any sort of distributor or involved in the distribution of of, uh, of, of any uh, uh, methamphetamine. Um, hey, Counselor, are you talking about the written statement there? That's his written statement. Yes, that's all we have here. Because yeah, I did want to ask, uh, th does the fact that it was not made under penalty of perjury affect its trustworthiness? Well, it, it might, except there was no, no analysis by the court about why it was untrustworthy. She just concluded it was, first of all, she said, uh, I'll take his lawyer's word that he's going to take the fifth and I don't need to talk to him. Uh, and, uh, uh, and then uh, it's untrustworthy, but there's no analysis as, as is required to, um, um, uh, under the Eighth Circuit law to determine whether or not it was trustworthy or not. Just like you just mentioned, um, uh, one of the factors that the court could have determined was making it untrustworthy was the fact that it wasn't made under the penalty of perjury. We didn't get that far because 
she wouldn't let me call him as a witness. I uh, attempted to uh, to do everything I could to try to get the exculpatory evidence uh, in favor of Mr. Uh, Simmons in front of the court uh, uh, and his in his defense at, at, at trial, and was thwarted at every at every uh, uh, junction. The uh, Argument here is is number one that the the, the court uh, the district court failed to make any um, uh, the, the 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 requisite inquiry into whether or not the actual witness was going to take the Fifth Amendment or not um, at the final pretrial conference, which was the Friday before trial, um, uh, the court had made a determination that uh, uh, and and Mr. Edwards' counsel was there and said, well, I think if he's called to testify, he'll take the fifth. All right. Um, um, and, uh, uh, but of course, uh, um, his, his trial counsel said, I didn't know he wrote this letter either, you know, but before it was brought to his attention, uh, by me, by the way. And at any rate, uh, um, uh, uh, the court, uh, uh, at the pretrial said, okay, well, um, uh, marshals, you can bring, uh, uh, Mr. Simmons, uh, over to, uh, uh, court, uh, on the second day of trial here and we'll make a record outside the presence of the jury. Fine. That's all I was asking to have done, um, uh, uh, which would have been a reasonable inquiry into whether or not the witness himself uh, was going to take the fifth or not. And uh, uh, then Monday morning, uh, just before the trial started, uh, the judge says, well, I've reconsidered my position on whether or not we need to call Mr. Uh, Edwards to, to uh, take the fifth or not. I'm going to rely upon what his uh, lawyer told me on Friday. And under Washington, United States versus Washington, an Eighth Circuit case, I'm going to determine that the record that we had about Mr. Simmons's lawyer saying he was going to take the fifth is adequate. Um, um, and of course, uh, um, um, uh, she asked me for some authority uh, that, uh, that I had in, in absence of Washington. And, and I said, well, I don't have any authority for you right this minute. Because I didn't think that was going to happen until it, it happened. Uh, uh, but I said, uh, in all my years of, of practice in the uh, Southern District, uh, all the rest of the uh, judges, including uh, um, uh, Judge Ronald Longstaff, Judge Harold Vieter, uh, now deceased Judge uh, um, uh, Charles Woolley recently died uh, a few weeks back, um, uh, had always, uh, th their practice was, well, let's call the witness in outside the presence of the jury at the time of trial, see if he's going to take the fifth or not, with the, and allow the defense lawyers to uh, to ask whatever questions they wanted of the witness to see how far he was going to go. And, uh, and I said, that's my authority. You know? and, well, she didn't accept that. But nonetheless, uh, subsequently, I've uh, uh, analyzed Washington. And, and as I said in my brief, uh, Washington uh, uh, was a situation where the judge actually had a colloquy with the, with the, with the defendant, the actual witness. Um, uh, uh, the, 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 the lawyer, uh, Washington's, uh, the the witness's lawyer in Washington uh, also made a statement but uh, um, about his wanting to take the fifth, but uh, uh, then the judge did actually let defense counsel uh, examine the witness, and then it was when it was apparent that he was going to take the fifth, that's when questioning stopped. So uh, Washington was misplaced. The judge's reliance on Washington is just wrong, and this court has the opportunity to, uh, um, um, uh, to reverse that, that injustice and and uh, allow a, another uh, trial for Mr. Simmons in which he could present evidence to defend himself. Um, uh, certainly the, uh, um, uh, the other uh, issues I raised, number one, there was inadequate uh, uh, basis for, um, um, uh, 
for an inquiry into whether or not the witness would actually take the Fifth Amendment. That's number one. Number two, um, uh, if he did, um, uh, it was my position, still is, that the, that the court should order the government to give him immunity. They give immunity all the time to their witnesses, and, uh, uh, and certainly in the name of justice and a fair trial, the defendant ought to have the opportunity to have witnesses that, the, uh, that, that have pertinent exculpatory and, and information that is uh, 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 essential to his defense to be able to, uh, 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 to offer that testimony. So I think that the, uh, the, what I offered the court to do is to, if the court determines the witness is going to take the fifth, make the government give them immunity. Absent that, um, give them judicial immunity. Say, come in and testify. You're not going to get prosecuted to, um, um, uh, for anything you say under oath here unless it's a lie. And, uh, um, uh, and it, we're not going to use that against you. Uh, in this particular case, um, uh, the judge declined uh, my invitation to, uh, uh, to number one, order the government to, uh, 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 to give him uh, uh, prosecutorial immunity, and then number two, to invoke judicial immunity. And I'm aware that judicial immunity is one of those characters that's a, a, you know, a, a rare remedy uh, and, and only should be uh, given in such a circumstance that whether you've got uh, misconduct by the government in trying to thwart the testimony and otherwise uh, a violation of, of the defendant's right to present uh, a defense and exculpatory information. And uh, I think we've got that here because uh, in, in this case, it's interesting that um, um, uh, the government, when they found out about Edwards' uh, uh, statement uh, and uh, my intention to call him as a witness, um, made a motion to move his sentencing until after Simmons' trial in November. His sentencing was originally set for July, uh, and it got moved to December. And in their motion to, to, to continue, they said if he uh, testifies at trial, and uh, which we think is false um, uh, in lines with his uh, purported statement, um, then we're going to jerk his three-level acceptance responsibility and add two levels uh, for obstruction of justice. Well... You know, if that isn't prosecutorial uh, manhandling of, of, of a situation, I don't know what is. Because threatening a, a, a witness with, uh, uh, with uh, reduction of taking away three levels and, and taking away a, um, uh, uh, and adding two more levels is certainly uh, rises to the level to judicial immunity. I see I'm eating into my rebuttal time, so I'll reserve the rest of it for that. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Weimer, we also appreciate your willingness to accept the CJA appointment. Of course. As this court is aware, uh, Mr. Hambrick was a co-defendant with uh, Mr. Simmons, and my task is a bit more Herculean than Mr. Bertoli's. Uh, my arguments relate to the sufficiency of the evidence used to convict Mr. Hambrick of the conspiracy to distribute um, controlled substances and specifically the use of cooperating witnesses, uh, Mr. Turner and Mr. Simon, in securing that conviction. With respect to the conspiracy, as this court's aware, the uh, state, excuse me, government has to prove that a conspiracy existed, that Mr. Hambrick knowingly entered into that conspiracy, and that he was aware that the conspiracy existed. 
their evidence and testimony regarding that conspiracy relied primarily upon Brian Waters, a cooperating individual who was working with law enforcement. In addition to Mr. Waters' testimony, they also offered that of Agent, excuse me, Special Agent Jenkins. The tra- excuse me, the challenge to Mr. Waters and Agent Jenkins' testimony is that neither of them can specify that it was Mr. Hambrick who was involved in any kind of transaction that they were alleged to have observed. Mr. Waters was in a vehicle with uh, Leroy Williams, who was the subject of that investigation. Mr. Williams exited the vehicle that he was in with Mr. Waters and went to a vehicle that Mr. Williams claims was owned and driven by Mr. Hambrick. Neither Mr. Waters or Special Agent Jenkins saw Mr. Hambrick in that vehicle. They also don't know what happened within that vehicle. The next thing that they could have testified to is that Mr. Williams got back into a vehicle with Mr. Waters. The difficulty with that is nobody stopped Mr. Williams between vehicle A and vehicle B. We don't know that he had anything about or on his person when he left the vehicle with Mr. Waters and got into the vehicle with Mr. Hambrick. We don't know what happened in that in that particular vehicle, assuming Mr. Hambrick was the person in the car. The next thing we have are some records, phone records, excuse me, that indicate there may have been communications between Mr. Hambrick and Mr. Williams. We don't know what those communications consisted of. For all we know, they were talking about baseball scores, football scores, or, you know, who's picking up the kids for their next PTA meeting. <coughs> the evidence and testimony that Agent Jenkins could offer is that he observed the vehicle and that later he saw that same vehicle being driven by Mr. Hambrick, but there's no indication that draws the line specifically between Mr. Hambrick providing any kind of drugs to Mr. Williams that was subsequently used in any additional transactions. The buttress to that testimony are the testimonies of Mr. Turner and Mr. Simon. Those two witnesses were working with law enforcement subsequent to the investigation. Um, They were essentially jailhouse informants who said, hey, at some point in time in the past, I've purchased some kind of drug from Mr. Hambrick. Neither Mr. Turner or Mr. Simon could provide any kind of specific dates other than I believe the questioning to Mr. Turner was, hey, didn't you almost overdose about a month and a half before the dates alleged in this indictment? Where'd you get those drugs? Right? But there's no evidence presented by either Mr. Turner or Mr. Simon that during the time period alleged in the indictment or the specific distribution date that Mr. Hambrick was selling anything to either of those individuals. Their testimony should have been, uh, <coughs> excuse me, left out and uh, improperly excluded by the court as being unfairly prejudicial. It is not intrinsic evidence. It doesn't tie enough to the allegations within the indictment to make it anything other than inflammatory. What we have is a jury that now hears there's somebody who may or may not have been selling some kind of drugs to two other individuals. Um, but because those people are in here saying, I bought from him, it just buttresses the, the limited information that they have with respect to the actual surveilled interaction on April, uh, excuse me, in April of 2020. In addition to that, um, we have the issue of weight. There's no weight with respect to Mr. Turner or Mr. Simon. 
uh, Mr. Turner, in fact, specifically testified that he's very bad with weight. I can relate to that. I'm terrible at identifying height. Taller than me, shorter than me, fine. But I can't tell you somebody's five foot six or seven by looking at that. Mr. Turner apparently has that difficulty with determining weight. So the other issue that the, the testimony that Mr. Turner and Mr. Simon provided for clouding what the jury was doing is saying, well, it could have been this amount. No information on that. We have no records of the specific transactions, what the weight was, uh, when those occurred. And by allowing that testimony in, it buttressed the limited testimony that was available through Mr. Waters and Special Agent Jenkins, leading to, I believe, jury confusion and ultimately a jury verdict that Mr. Hambrick would ask this court to uh, reverse and remand for a new trial, specifically with instructions that the testimony of Mr. Turner and Mr. Simon be uh, excluded. I understand that I have additional time. At this point, I would reserve it for any rebuttal. All right. Thank you. May it please the court, Mackenzie Tubbs on behalf of the United States, and I tried this case. This court should affirm the jury's verdicts and also the district court's rulings. I'll start with the arguments raised by Mr. Simmons. The district court here properly excluded the testimony of co-defendant Edwards because he asserted his Fifth Amendment privilege. And the district court's record here through his, made through his counsel of asserting that Fifth Amendment right was a sufficient inquiry. First, I'd like to say how different this case is from the cases raised by Mr. Simmons, Washington, and Nelson. Both of those cases involved the testimony of witnesses. Here, we had the, Mr. Simmons sought the testimony of Mr. Edwards, a charged co-defendant. And not only was Mr. Edwards a charged co-defendant in the conspiracy, he was also jointly charged with Mr. Simmons in the distribution count. And that matters here. The court's inquiry as to how Mr. Edwards, how, uh, why he needed to assert his Fifth Amendment right here um, is apparent on its face when we're considering a co-defendant versus a witness off the street. Some of the cases, for example, talk about witnesses who come in and say, oh, well, I've used drugs and I'd, I'd like to now invoke my Fifth Amendment right. It is apparent on its face in seeking to call co-defendant Edwards that the substance of his testimony was going to be incriminating. He is charged in, in the two counts that Mr. Simmons is charged with jointly. Ms. Tubbs, it, it may or may not be evident on its face, but we do have the statement from Edwards' counsel. And it seems that uh, his statement about him not being willing to testify was a little bit vague. Didn't it leave some room for Edwards to change his mind? I do not believe it did, Your Honor. But to the extent that there was any question, uh, the assertion of the Fifth Amendment right, his, his lawyer did say those words. Mr. Edwards asserts his Fifth Amendment right. And uh, that statement alone 
cannot be held to be an abuse of discretion by the district court here. Uh, the record made at the final pretrial conference with his attorney was rather clear. And as I've just been discussing, it's evident on its face. When you read that statement that, that purportedly from Mr. Edwards, um, that the district court here considered twice, for two purposes rather, both in its motion, uh, Mr. Simmons' motion to sever, and as a purported trial exhibit, when you read that letter, it is inherent, it is plain on its face that the statements Mr. Edwards was seeking to make in this case are incriminating. He admitted in, as part of that letter uh, that he was attempting to connect the confidential informant with a deal for $1,600 of a Q, for a QP, a quarter pound, and another three zips for $1,200. He was, of course, as uh, Mr. Simmons sought to admit, claiming that uh, Mr. Simmons did not sell drugs on the date in question, but he did admit that Mr. Simmons had seven grams and that Mr. Edwards and Mr. Simmons did hot rails on the day that they were with the confidential informant. This testimony was inherently incriminating and the district court properly considered counsel's assertion that Mr. Edwards would in fact assert his Fifth Amendment privilege and that was sufficient. The case law of course is very clear that Mr. Edwards' assertion of his Fifth Amendment right trumps uh, Mr. Simmons' right to compel him as a witness. And of course here it's also not an abuse of discretion as cited in the government's brief for the district court to rely on counsel's assertion because of the case law set forth in Warfield, which also involved a co-defendant and uh, it clearly stated that an assertion by counsel is sufficient. So the loose language in Nelson and Washington do not demonstrate here that any abuse of discretion uh, any abuse of discretion by the district court for relying on an assertion by counsel. One other point raised in Mr. Simmons' brief is that because this evidence was clearly exculpatory, that the, this court uh, and the district court should have given immunity for that statement. Uh, Kaposi does not provide such a loophole for evidence that is just merely clearly exculpatory. That is one of the five factors that is discussed in the Smith case. And as of course, as uh, the government's brief recognizes and case law firmly sets forth, any expansion of Smith uh, is explicitly not good law and the cases are very firm on that point. But even if we assume that in using those Smith factors to establish some uh, alleged due process violation, Mr. Simmons here cannot overcome the factor, uh, the last factor, because here there is a strong government interest against immunity because Edwards' purported statement is false on its face and directly contradictory to the evidence. That is the evidence at trial, including audio from the purchase and the confidential informant's testimony. 
exhibits 312, 313, and 314 all directly contradict the written statement of Mr. Edwards' purported view of the uh, events on that day and therefore directly, of course, open Mr. Edwards up to perjury. Let me ask you, in the sequence of events, so do I understand um, Edwards had pled but not been sentenced, Simmons comes up for trial, Simmons and Hart Hambrick come up for trial, and, and, then, and then Edwards is sentenced after the trial. Is that, is that kind of the sequence? Yes, loosely, Your Honor. I would say that at the time that Mr. Ed, that Mr. Simmons rather presented this statement as part of his motion to sever, uh, Mr. Edwards had not yet pled guilty and was in fact at that time set for trial jointly with Mr. Simmons. And well, why, uh, why didn't he go to trial with Simmons? Did he enter into a plea agreement? He did enter into a plea agreement months later. And as part of that plea agreement, he did not make any admissions about this deal with Mr. Simmons. Well, so why didn't Edwards go to trial with Simmons and Hambrick if, if he hadn't entered into a plea agreement at that point? Uh, so there was an original trial setting in June, and trial was continued to November, and it was in June that Mr. Edwards had a change of heart and decided to plead guilty. And after... Well, I, I guess I'm confused. Did, did Edwards plead guilty before the actual trial? Yes. Okay, yes, that's what I'm... Okay, so, so Edwards had pled guilty before the actual trial with Simmons and Hambrick. Did his plea agreement... Was it was it was his plea agreement inconsistent with the letter? There was no mention in his plea agreement of any of the transaction, which was uh, summarized in his letter. Well, was there anything in the plea agreement that was inconsistent with the letter? No. And I, I would like to dispel any notion here that the government then continued Mr. Edwards' sentencing in an effort to di to dissuade him from testifying. Um, the government's motion to continue his sentencing, uh, which is at docket 274, does discuss and uh, would be disingenuous to not mention that there are obvious implications if Mr. Edwards were to testify consistent with the letter. And those statements, as just discussed, are entirely inconsistent with the evidence here. And of course, there are implications for acceptance of responsibility and perjury, as well as implications under his plea agreement. But that motion to continue by the government also noted the need to avoid transporting Mr. Edwards to the Bureau of Prisons should he choose to testify at the November trial, uh, leaving open, of course, that possibility that he would choose to testify and go against his counsel's uh, advice to uh, invoke his Fifth Amendment right. The uh, nature of Edwards' statement here as false is also why the district court properly excluded it as hearsay under the residual exception. Uh, as this court touched on earlier, uh, it was a non-notarized statement. There is nothing here that corroborates its truthfulness. And it was... It well, was I thought it was notarized, but it wasn't under penalty of perjury. Uh, uh, 
it, one could say it was notarized because it stated that it was notarized. Um, there is certainly uh, no reason to believe that that was uh, a, a, a proper notary here, but it certainly was not under penalty of perjury. And as I've mentioned several times, was completely contradictory to the evidence at trial. I'll move on to the issues raised by Mr. Uh, Hambrick. And uh, here, the I'll start with the issue of the uh, two witnesses who testified about purchasing drugs from Mr. Hambrick. The argument by Mr. Hambrick ignores much of the evidence and much of their testimony. The evidence presented by these two witnesses was intrinsic. It contributed to the narrative that Mr. Hambrick sold drugs near a Walgreens driving his white SUV from around the same time as the conspiracy and during the conspiracy. Kyle Turner remembered an event in December of 2019 that changed the quantities that he was buying from Mr. Hambrick. Before, he was buying less, and after, he was buying more methamphetamine. And he testified that for 30 to 45 days, he was purchasing pounds and pounds of methamphetamine from Mr. Hambrick during the charge conspiracy. The jury also heard evidence and saw Facebook messages between Kyle Turner and Mr. Hambrick. And those messages are dated shortly before and during the conspiracy. And as Mr. Turner testified at trial, involved his drug debt to Mr. Hambrick for the pounds and pounds of methamphetamine that he was purchasing from him. They um, Mr. Simon also remembers uh, seeing Kyle Turner, and that uh, is very important because it links their testimony and shows the same time of their testimony uh, in that Mr. Hambrick was in possession of multiple pounds of methamphetamine as observed by Mr. Simon, and also uh, that Mr. Hambrick discussed Kyle Turner's debt with Mr. Simon. This ties them temporally to the period as charged in the indictment. And of course, they presented very similar narratives about how they would obtain the methamphetamine from Mr. Hambrick. They would meet him near the same two Walgreens in his white SUV. That white SUV is important because it does, that is, of course, what law enforcement observed during surveillance. And as the jury concluded, uh, Mr. Hambrick's participation in the conspiracy what, and during the charge distribution was from that white SUV. Again, Mr. Hambrick's evidence as regards to, in regards to sufficiency of the evidence ignores much of the trial testimony. It ignores the testimony of Detective Carter, who was from a different vantage point than a Agent Jenkins, and the still shots of Mr. Williams leaving from his car where the CI was, traveling to Mr. Hambrick's white SUV, and returning with something in his hand. 
It also ignores the subsequent surveillance that law enforcement did identifying Terry Hambrick as the driver of that white SUV. And that identity evidence here is one of the many reasons that the uh, jury's that the evidence was more than sufficient to support the jury's verdict. The audio evidence here um, of Mr. Williams specifically references his source of supply for this deal, references the type of car that he's going to be in, and references that Mr. Williams was there for more than what the CI um, was paying for. And of course, uh, Mr. Hambrick's testimony or Mr. Hambrick's argument also overlooks the fingerprint evidence. Mr. Hambrick's fingerprints were found on the drug packaging, and that uh, demonstrates the sufficiency of the evidence here. Unless the panel has any additional questions, I will yield the rest of my time. Thank right, you. Thank you. Bertogli, you've got just over a minute. All right. Uh, this, uh, uh, the government's argument here about uh, about uh, analyzing what was in Mr. Edwards' statement vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis what the government believes the, the evidence to show otherwise is, is beside the point. What we've got here is a, a trial. It's for a jury to determine uh, and, and reconcile conflicting evidence, not the government or the court. Uh, that's what we're trying to do here is to, is to, is to present evidence um, and information to a jury to determine whether or not they want to use it in order to see if the, if the burden of proof of beyond a reasonable doubt has been satisfied or not. And the government's observation that the, his statement was contrary to other evidence is somehow makes it inadmissible uh, uh, and unreliable is just a circular argument which really shouldn't be uh, uh, entertained jury needs to determine and hear this evidence. In this case, it never got that far, period. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Weinberg. Thank you. Unless the panel has any questions for me, I will either yield my time back to the panel or cede the remaining to Mr. Bertoli if he has anything further. All right, thank you. Uh, I wanted to touch on uh, the timing of this. Uh, I think the court's aware that uh, uh, Edwards was a co-defendant. He pled guilty prior to Simmons' trial. Um, um, I came into possession of this uh, 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 statement uh, well in advance of the trial, notified all the parties about uh, its existence. Um, uh, then after its existence, the government makes a motion to continue the sentencing because they somehow think that uh, it might affect uh, uh, how they argue at sentencing. Um, uh, if he testifies at trial, they're certainly going to argue that uh, his three levels acceptance ought to be taken away and he got two points for obstruction of justice. Well, uh, I believe that was a, uh, an effort to dissuade Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Edwards from testifying. But we never got that far because nobody ever heard it from his own mouth. Um, uh, all we got was his lawyer's statement that I think he's going to take the fifth. Well, you know, that was 72 hours prior to the trial starting and we weren't even going to call him as a witness until after uh, the second day of trial. So a lot of time could have uh, slipped between the uh, uh, person's decision about what to do um, 
regardless of what their lawyer advises them to do. I'm sure his lawyer didn't advise him to write that letter either, but, but, uh, um, um, uh, but in this case, the judge took that out of, uh, uh, out of the realm of possibility by saying, we're not even going to make a record with this witness. And it doesn't make a difference whether the witness is a co-defendant or not. A witness is a witness under the cases that I've uh, uh, looked at, including Washington and, uh, 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 and Nelson and the other uh, cases having to do with the uh, standard of inquiry that you are to uh, uh, engage in in order to determine whether a witness, not the witness's lawyer, is going to take the fifth or not. Thank you. All right, thank you. Mr. Ritogli and Ms. Weimer and Ms. Tubbs, we appreciate your arguments very much, and the case is submitted.